Since breaking the industry barriers with its launch of the political drama House of Cards in 2011, Netflix has spent billions on new content and has been rewarded with steady user growth. In 2016, they're doubling down on original content with plans to produce 600 hours, up from 450 the previous year. Yes, Netflix has changed the landscape of the business of television, but the story may not have unfolded that way were it not for MRC, a film and television studio that was willing to flip the script. Today we'll hear from Professor Anita Elberse about her case entitled MRC's House of Cards. I'm Brian Kenny, and you're listening to Cold Call. So we are all sitting there in the classroom. Professor walks in. And they look up and you know it's coming. Oh, the dreaded cold call. Anita Alberse is an expert in the business of entertainment, media, and sports, and the creator of an executive education program at Harvard Business School that carries that very name. She's written extensively on this topic, including the case that we're discussing today. Anita, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Could you start by setting this up for us? Who are the protagonists and and what's the dilemma they're facing? Sure, yeah. So the case is set in 2011. Uh, We go back a little bit, uh, which is at a time when House of Cards was not yet on the air. Uh, So there was an idea and there was a uh, quite a bit of development that had taken place at MRC, Media Rights Capital, Mm -hmm. uh, led by two executives, uh, Asif Sachu and uh, uh, Modi Wichik. And uh, they... Uh, had shopped this idea around uh, to various networks. And to their big surprise, and that's where the case uh, really focuses on, uh, to their big surprise, uh, Netflix came along and said, we might want to take this as a, as our first major bet in original programming. Which was a sort of a revolutionary concept. And we'll get into the, the details about why that is. What prompted you to write this case? Well, for me, now looking back, and I, I wrote it uh, a few years ago, for me, it is, uh, it's a pivotal moment in television history, actually. I think it's, uh, of course, we all know, it turned out to be uh, Netflix's first major bet uh, in the world of online video. This was a very expensive show for them, uh, a huge risk. And I think it has prompted many such investments by Netflix, but also by other players since then. Are you uh, a viewer of House of Cards? I am a viewer, yes. You got to love Francis Underwood. <laughs> Only a mother. Only his mother could love him, I think. We need to talk, I guess, sort of to lay this out and help people understand. We need to talk about sort of the prevalence of television in America. We know it's a big deal, but you have some great statistics in the case. Uh, It's a $200 billion industry. Yes, it's a gigantic industry. I think uh, the statistic I love the most is that the average uh, U.S. consumer watches five hours of television every day. Yeah. We spend an enormous amount of our time and and of our money uh, on watching television. So, uh, so these kinds of investments that companies are making uh, ha- can have huge consequences for popular culture. Right. And now we sort of compound the, the traditional television viewing experience with the online viewing experience, and there's more than enough opportunity to spend five hours a day, you know, watching something, right? Exactly. And sometimes multiple things at the same time, yeah. apparently. <laughs> uh, that's all the rage now. Yes. Thus the sort of uh, shortening of our attention spans. Can you describe the TV landscape to us? You break it you break it out very nicely in the case with the different types of, of TV that are out there. Yeah, so the way I think about it, uh, I mean, obviously we have uh, a number of different producers and uh, MRC is a, an independent, relatively small production company, but we have huge producers uh, of television content as well. Many of the major studios, the major television studios 
are part of these huge conglomerates, right? The Disneys and the Time Warners. So that's where television shows originate. And then there's a as a range of distributors of that content, a range of intermediaries that make sure that that content actually gets to the consumer. And there I think of uh, four major groups. Uh, one are the, the broadcast channels, the ABCs and the NBCs and the CBSs. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are uh, basic cable networks, uh, uh, cable networks that are part of your cable bundle, but that would still carry some advertising. Uh, so they make their money partly from that advertising and partly from the, the cable fees that consumers pay. There are premium cable networks, the third group. Uh, HBO and Showtime are examples of that. And mm-hmm. they, they don't run advertising. They solely depend on, on the subscription fees that we as consumers pay. And then the fourth group, which is uh, obviously a, ma- a major focus in this case, are these online services. Netflix and Amazon has come up uh, strongly in recent uh, recent years. They introduced binge viewing. Uh, they, too, depend on subscription fees, but it's quite a different experience to be watching these online services. Mm. Uh, and binge viewing, for those listeners who don't know what that is, that's when you you find a rainy day and you sit down and you watch an entire season uh, of a show, which is really relative to this case. Yeah, I think on average, I saw that recently, and it's not in the case. I think on average, people watch four or five episodes in one, in one go, which is quite uh, There's your quite five amazing. hours right there. Yeah. This episode of Cold Call is brought to you by Indeed. Right now, small businesses have to be more efficient than ever, and that means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost the visibility of your job post at Indeed.com slash cold call. That's Indeed.com slash cold call. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. It's complicated about how shows get created and sold. Can you describe that as part of the – as you do in the case? Sure, yeah. There's obviously a number of different ways in which this goes. Um, and the way in which it went in the case for, for MRC is different from how it usually goes. The typical process you have to picture as, a, as, a, as several steps. It starts with an idea. And uh, someone might say, hey, we should do a television show on X. In this particular situation, and, and, and very often you see that you need to get the rights to actually do that, right? If it's based on a, an existing book or an existing character or something else that already resides in popular culture, you need to make sure you get the rights. Uh, another step might be to make sure you get the team, get uh, someone who could be the executive producer, someone who could be the writer. And usually there's a quick pitch that happens at that moment, right? So someone might write uh, a few pages that says, here's the idea, but very often they go to the network relatively quickly and say, would you be interested in in helping us fund this idea and helping Mm -hmm. it make it possible? In this particular situation, MRC chose to do something very different. So they said, actually, what we'd like some time to develop this. So they invested in the development of a pilot, um, the, the, the script for the pilot. They invested in what we call a show Bible, which says uh, this is not just what, what's happening in, in episode one, but we're going to be describing what's happening across the season, right? What's the story arc? What's going to happen the, to the major characters? Mm-hmm. And they uh, also did a lot of work in trying to get the director. Um, uh, uh, David Fincher signed on to be a director um, and, uh, and actually ended up directing the first episode, which is a really big deal. Uh, and they also um, invested in getting cast members. Uh, so the, the major players, the major uh, actors and actresses involved were cast at a relatively early stage, even before there was uh, a network deal. So they took 
one and a half years, which is a really long time. As I said, usually they go to the networks really fast and uh, and spend uh, what they describe as a as a high six figure amount. Uh, it's not a great deal of money, but it's substantial if you have no idea whether this is actually going to be sold. Uh, so they spend that money and they spend that time, and only then did they go to the networks. And this is part of what differentiates MRC, I guess, in this space is uh, they had had some success. Uh, they had, had quite a bit of success out of the gate with uh, some movies that, that got great critical review. Um, but their emphasis on building a relationship with the artists, with the creative talent, uh, you know, was, was something different, yes? Yes, absolutely. And that might be their main point of differentiation, the fact that they had these really strong relationships with the talent and that they gave the directors and the cast members and the producers and the writers this time to really uh, really develop this this idea and uh, and make it their own, right? That might be a reason why they decided to go with this idea as opposed to uh, pick from all the other opportunities that come from the from the major studios. Mm-hmm. And uh, you describe in the case how uh, the, the sort of seasonality of how some of these pitches are made and how, you know, how it differs uh, from the broadcast networks to now we've got these online. There's a different approach these days, and it's not as regimented, and it allows for a little bit of this uh, creativity to come into the process that, that really wasn't part of it before. Yeah, absolutely. And what you also see is that, and this is a, a, a major part of the decision here, that uh, networks increasingly are willing to make full season orders. At the time in 2011, the idea that Netflix was going to put in a full season order that they were saying, we'll take 13 episodes. And in fact, they said, we'll take two seasons, we'll take 26 episodes. That was really uh, unheard of at the time. Yeah, but not without uh, some trepidation, I guess, on the part of MRC, because, you know, Netflix uh, was a new player in this space. So let's talk about some of the concerns they had about that. Yeah, there were lots of concerns, and I think that's what makes uh, the case so interesting, right? It's this is we know that it worked out well, um, that that the show became really successful. But if you go back and analyze the decision they made at the time, it's not at all obvious that going with Netflix was the right choice. No one knew how they were going to be marketing the show. There weren't other hit shows that they could use to market this show to consumers, which is usually what the what the traditional networks do. Um, no one knew if the show would qualify for awards. Uh, for instance, right? Could you win an Emmy uh, if you go on online video? Mm-hmm. So there were lots of unknowns uh, about the situation. Yeah. And you point out in the case also that um, politics as a theme doesn't necessarily translate so well internationally. And the way this deal was cut, they needed to rely on that international audience to make up the difference of what uh, Netflix was offering them. Yes, the way it works is that if you sell a show to a network, usually you do it under what's called a deficit financing deal. So if an episode costs $3 million to produce, uh, the the network licenses that show, but for a fee that's not quite uh, rec- allowing you to recover all those costs. So they might pay $2 million for, for an episode, which means that MRC has to make up a million dollars each episode. And they they do that by going for these other windows, right? So Netflix just says we want to be the first window. So everyone in the U.S. and Canada can see the show first at Netflix. Mm-hmm. But but MRC can still go to the international market and get it on television, can still sell DVDs. They retain the ownership, uh, can, st- can still uh, find other sources of revenue. So, so yeah, if, if the show had failed on Netflix, it's not entirely clear that uh, that they would have been able to go for these other sources of revenues. And in fact, the fact that they made the deal with Netflix made it very uncertain they, that they could cut deals with international television companies because they were wondering, okay, what kind of show is this and, and uh, how do I fit this into I, – I don't understand what they're trying to do, so how do I fit this into my regular uh, way of doing business? 
you've discussed this case in class? I have, yes, yeah, several times in, in both my MBA course and, uh, and in executive education. So I'm curious, what's the difference in the way that it's received from MBA students versus exec ed students? Do they come at it sort of differently? Well, this may be disappointing, but I think they come at it exactly the same way. I think they're all really keen uh, to discuss it. It, it works well. Uh, the, the show is popular across the world, so it works well with the international audiences too. And uh, they just they seem really interested in understanding. Okay, what was the right? What would have been the right decision at the time? Would I have made that decision myself to go with Netflix? And I think they they enjoy uh, diving into the development process and learning. What is it usually like and why did MRC decide to, to change the process so significantly and, and is that something we'll see more often? They enjoy looking at the television industry as a whole and saying, okay, this is one example of a distributor trying to become an original programmer. Uh, will we see this more often? What does this mean for the world of television? And uh, I, I mean, I've taught it with audiences where everyone in the audience was uh, part of the television industry in one form or another. Uh, so you can imagine that those become very heated discussions. Yeah. And this leads me to my last question, which is uh, if you look at MRC and what they've done, would you categorize them as a disruptor in this space? I think they certainly were very innovative and they were extremely gutsy. Mm. Uh, I mean, I think even now, if you look at the decision, it's not clear uh, that this is necessarily the safest or the most logical decision, but it certainly was very gutsy. And uh, and as I said uh, early on, I mean, I think it, it became a pivotal moment in, uh, in television history. So, so in that sense, it, uh, uh, they, they may uh, deserve that stamp of being a disruptor. Well, I, for one, hope that they find some more uh, breakout series like House of Cards. It's a great show. Yes, but House of Cards is still on the air. So, uh, so I need we, to have, catch up. we have a lot to look forward there, too. I need some rainy days. Anita, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. My pleasure. You can find this case along with thousands of others in the HBS case collection at hbr.org. I'm Brian Kenny, and you've been listening to Cold Call, the official podcast of Harvard Business School.